0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Dr. Jeremy Clark shares a situation that's pretty common in his home with one of his teenage daughters.
1: I have one daughter that literally well, come home and there's a shoe and then another shoe and then there's a sock and then there's a sock and then there's a, a backpack and then there's a, a wrapper to the popcorn and then there's a popcorn bag and then there's a- She empty won't get popcorn, lost, and will she? <laughs> No. And then there's a
2: mouse running across your <laughs> yes, house. Exactly. Right, right. And,
1: <laughs> and for me, I can get frustrated, like how many times do we have to say, pick up after yourself, so- whatever. Well, we know the adolescent brain needs scaffolding. It, we need to help
0: them build to their maturity Well, you'll be hearing more from our guests today about your teen and their brain development and how to help them build a good foundation. This is Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller.
2: John, here's a thought. Today we're going to learn what's going on inside the brain of our teenagers, which I think every parent should be interested Mm -hmm, in. Absolutely. Um, And as a dad, let me tell you, of two young men, I'm looking forward to hearing this great conversation so I can learn more precisely what is going on in my two boys' brains uh, we're going to talk with Dr. Jeremy and Jerusha Clark, and they bring it. Uh, they are experts, I might add, in this area of teen development. It's very informative, and I'm sure there are parents who are saying, what's going on with my teenager? If you're not normal, you may not ask that question, but if you're normal, you're going to ask that question. Um What's happening is a lot of brain chemistry changes. That's what's going on. Physiological changes, emotional changes, hormonal changes, all those things. It's what makes the teenage years uh, so difficult to cope as
0: a teenager and then as a parent trying to help them cope as that teenager. And today we want to equip you so you can better understand uh, where they're at, where they're coming from, and how to be more effective in your parenting strategies with your teen A great resource to help is the book written by our guests called, Your Teenager is Not Crazy. (laughs) And uh, we do have copies of that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And Jeremy Clark served as a youth pastor for 17 years. He's now a pastor to ministry leaders through Standing Stone Ministry, located in Costa Mesa, California. And uh, Jerusha is a writer and speaker. And along with Jeremy, they have two teen girls of their own. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen in now on this conversation on today's episode of Focus on the Family.
2: Jeremy and Jerusha. Welcome to Focus.
3: Thank you for having us. And Jerusa,
2: you were actually here, you talked about postpartum depression probably seven years ago, so thanks for coming back. That was a powerful program, and we appreciate your openness in that environment to share those things with us. Today, we're going to crack open all this brain science, which obviously John and I are very interested in, along with about a million other listeners right (laughs) now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But before we get in there, uh, you do speak to a lot of teenagers and have for many years. Uh, what do teenagers tell you in that kind of uh, an event format where maybe you come to a church and you're doing a teen night and they'll line up to talk with you? I mean, I know what that feels like because I've done a bit of that. But what do they tell you that maybe they're not telling their parents?
3: That's such a great question. And in fact, we structured the entire book based on things that teenagers say. So mm-hmm. the first chapter is you don't understand. There are chapters like, why are you freaking out? What do you expect from me? I can't take this. I hate my life. we check, really, check, check, right. Okay. <laughs> we took the things that teenagers would say to us and made those the focal points of each chapter. And what was remarkable was that we were able to see biologically in each chapter something that was occurring and then find the different dimensions that worked into the relationship aspect between parents and their children. And finally, spiritual truth. There was not one time where there was not an application from scripture. That was so exciting to us because it really was a holistic approach. And instead of having to read multiple books on the subject, we tried to bring everything to the parents so they could know what's going on physiologically, psychologically, and spiritually in one book. That well, was our goal.
2: Yeah, and this is a terrific resource. In fact, Jean, when I was going over the prep and reading the book uh, over the last few days, she said, bring that one home. I really, I always know I got a home run <laughs> when she says, hey, make sure I get that book. So, But let's talk about the science. So let's get into that for a minute, and then we'll come back to some of your stories. But what's the broad science, the amygdala and the development of the brain and the systems that are going on that really impact? A, a puberty moment you know when that prepubescent child is now moving into puberty what's happening well leading neuroscientists uh, discovered uh, this was just about
1: 12 uh, tops maybe 15 years ago that as they could image and look at the brain that the brain from 11 about 11 in girls and 12 and a half in boys the adolescent brain begins to prune from the back to the front huh in this pruning is significant. And as the brain prunes, major things happen. And, and it can account for the erratic behavior that you'd experience in your adolescence life. And so
2: as the brain, from the back to the front, begins to prune, it. What, this... what do you mean by pruning? Yeah. I just need to know, is that the shedding of brain cells or yeah. what? Well,
3: it's actually very interesting because in late childhood, there's a radical and very explosive growth. They call it arborization, kind of similar to a tree growing new branches. And then at this uh, shifting point, as Jeremy was mentioning, there begins to be specialization. So the pruning is actually the process of the brain moving toward adulthood. Uh. So it really is a use it or lose it time.
1: Interesting. Right. So as a young person begins to go through this process, it can often be very confusing for them. Mm -hmm. Very much confusing for parents, for sure. (laughs) Hey, look. I felt like I was uh, an all-star of young toddlers. When my girls were little, I would race home to see them. I'd open the door, and I'd hear these, hear these little uh, screams, and they would run down the yeah. hall and hug my legs, yep. and I just would play with them until they went to bed. I felt like I was an all-star at that point. And then things changed, mm. and it began to get difficult for me. And I began to feel frustrated that I didn't have that kind of relationship with them anymore. And this research has given me great clarity into what's happening with my teen
2: daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't have to just white knuckle this time. I can keep growing. But it's those underlying things. And this is what I love about your book. You're you're helping parents better understand what's going on in the mind, literally, of your teenager. Right. And that's what I love. Jerusha, you mentioned something with your oldest uh, when she turned 12 that you begin to feel apprehensive.
3: Yeah, Um, I was so nervous. Yeah, what was going on? Yeah, I, I mean, though Jeremy and I had worked with teenagers for many years, I started realizing how fearful I was of the teenage years. People make such a big deal of how difficult it is, and, oh, you've got teenagers now, and... I realized I was dealing with a lot of fear, and I had to take that to the Lord and ask for help um, and peace. And one of the ways, because He's wired me to investigate and be curious, that's one of the reasons that I jumped into this research. I needed to know because I didn't want to just try to get through these years. I wanted to actually enjoy them as much as possible. What did you?
2: I mean, again, some people listening don't have a relationship with the Lord. That's one of the mm. great things I appreciate about the radio program, John. Yeah. Um, not everybody is there. Describe what that means when you pray to the Lord. What did you actually um, receive back that began to give you greater confidence, that your fear began to dissipate? What was tangible in that regard?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you put your finger on that. And just to let you know, in the book, we very much try to bridge the gap between those who maybe have had a relationship with God for many years and those who currently are questioning or... Um, Certainly
2: teenagers will make you yes, question your relationship is with the Lord. absolutely true.
3: Uh, but with regard to my own relationship and how that worked was I was beginning to feel that kind of pit in my stomach, um, uncomfortable, nervous feeling. And when I take my cares and lay them down and say, I can't do this on my own, I receive God's peace. And that is profound. Um, It's, you know, exhibit A for evidence of a relationship with God actually changing things. Because it does. I, I genuinely felt as he took those cares from me as I let them go. And it's hard not to keep going back and grabbing him again. Um, but as I let those go, I did experience, he calls it the peace that passes understanding because yeah. there's really, it doesn't make a lot of sense when it comes to teenagers. You would think, yeah, I need to be afraid.
2: But its you've said it very well. It's the shalom of God, the peace mm, of God. And yes. that's what so much of the world desperately needs, especially in parenting, because yes. there is a chaotic world out there. But it is the peace of God that allows you to get through so much of this. So, if you're, Mm -hmm. man, if you're struggling, you don't know what to do, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, call us. Talk to us about that today. That's kind of the bedrock. We can help you with your family issues, but if we don't introduce you to who Jesus Christ is, man, we have missed the mark. Mm -hmm. So, do that. Uh, Be bold enough to call us today. And talk to our counselors, talk to our phone folks about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Let me come back now to parenting teens, which should drive you to a relationship with Christ. (laughs) I keep joking about that, but it's so true. Um, You break the book down into multiple segments, like you said. One of them is a statement, John, I'm sure you've never heard in your household, you and Dina. From a teenager, leave me alone. <laughs> I think that may have been just the other night. One of my boys oh, you spend, may have you spend said that, that. long for Wouldn't you. Would you just leave me alone? <laughs> Twice this morning, I heard yeah. it. And then what do school. I do? I go tickle them because yeah. I just think that's fun. I do the opposite. But what is a teenager expressing when they're expressing "leave me alone"?
3: Yeah. Well, some of the radical changes that are happening in the brain are both physically and emotionally exhausting for teenagers. So they actually do need space. And as parents, I think it's important to recognize that. I kind of downplayed the physiological aspects that were going on, but as I researched them, as Jeremy and I discussed them, we realized we do actually need to give our kids space. And this is where the important principle of discernment comes in, because there are times that we need to push in and not allow our kids to push us away. There are other times we need to leave them alone, and so using discern is so key. In fact, the two watchwords for us in the whole book are compassion and discernment. Mm. The word used most often to describe Jesus's emotions in the Gospels is compassion, and so as parents, having the compassion for our teenagers that are going through these radical changes, but then also the discernment to be able to see when to speak when to be silent i mean it's just like you know ecclesiastes say there's a time for everything and hopefully not to live and die in this teenage season but
2: and one of the most difficult things as parents we fail to remember this is that there's usually underlying issues when the baby is small an infant the reason they cry is they're uncomfortable something's wrong they're hungry they have a wet diaper they're trying to express in the best way they know how which is to cry (laughs) because they can't speak yet um to tell you i'm in need of some attention and, of course, you can apply that rule all the way up to a 5-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 15-year-old. Correct. Right. So I think what you're saying here in some of this brain transition is it's a teenager's cry to say, I'm changing and I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I yelled at you, Dad. Yes. That is so true. It's so
1: revealing, this whole research. For my daughter, we'll sit down and try to get to the core of some issues, but oftentimes she really doesn't know how to express herself. She doesn't understand really what's going on within her own brain and in her own life and her own emotion. And so for us, one of the best things we can do during those moments is not continue to to follow them down the hallway and into their bedroom. Sometimes it's okay to let them go. And sometimes even for me as a parent to let them have the last word like, Oh my, it's not going to end the world by
0: allowing my 15 year old, daughter to have the last word this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
3: oh hey mike got here as soon as i could what's going on man hey i just
1: wanted to give you an update on my marriage is it good news yeah our marriage is going great right now
0: i couldn't be happier dude that's awesome yeah it's like a solid five out of (laughs) ten having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live Give yourself
2: and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at focusonthefamily.com slash getaway. That's focusonthefamily.com
1: slash getaway.
0: Find fun for your kids just a click away.
1: And now, Adventures in Odyssey.
0: The Adventures in Odyssey Club, where your eight to 12-year-old can find trusted, faith-building entertainment in a safe online club. It features almost every episode ever plus special monthly club-only episodes and content, and a Focus on the Family Clubhouse magazine subscription. Sign up today. Just go to aioclub.org radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned that whole thing about step back, take a deep breath. We don't naturally do that. What triggers do you use as parents, both of you, to do that. You have two teen girls, you're in the middle of it. So now you're experiencing, it. it's not theoretical for you any longer, speaking to parents, groups, or teens about teenagers. You're in it with your own teens. We are. So how do you do it? How do you say, because your flesh just wants to move in that direction. Let me tell you, son, this is why you need to take out the garbage. And I've told you 25 times, and I don't want to tell you a 26th time. Do you understand me? Right, (laughs) right. And you got to say, okay, that's not working. That's stupidity, the definition of doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result. So how do we become more effective, more Christ-like in our parenting?
1: Well, we understand. First, it comes through just understanding. Do you know that their perspective memories of adolescence is developing? Meaning it's hard for them to determine in advance what they should do. They, they are constantly thinking in the moment, but it's hard for them to assess what what I should do right now for something in the future. So we get exhausted by repeating ourselves. But if I know that, if I know that my adolescence brain is developing unevenly and at times I'm going to have to keep reminding them, it takes some pressure off of me and it gives me a greater compassion for where they're at. That I have one daughter that literally, well... Come home, and there's a shoe, and then another shoe, and then there's a sock, and then there's a sock, and then there's a, a backpack, and then there's a, a wrapper to the popcorn, and then there's a popcorn bag, and then there's a, a empty popcorn, lost, and there's a popcorn. She won't no. get <laughs> And
2: then there's a mouse running across your yes, house. exactly. Right, right.
1: <laughs> and for me, I can get frustrated. Like, how many times do we have to say pick up after stuff, whatever? Well, we know the adolescent brain needs scaffolding. It need, literally... we need to help them build to their maturity Mm -hmm. and something that we often say to one another. And I have the most incredible partner right here, my wife, and we are in it together, married 18 years. And we say better together. uh, It's me and you against the world. It's me and you, (laughs) even against our kids at times. But we say, we say, hey, you have an adult brain, use it. We have, parents have the ability to be mature, to be well-seasoned, to hold their emotion, to let the ark fall, to rise, get frustrated, but let it fall. We can, we can be mature and not enter in. So we, we want to rise above. And right. so those are some of the things that we'll look at each other, because as much as I can know the research... We still blow it on do a daily
2: you, basis. Do you I'm give a... each other permission to call each other out privately about yes, that? You we know, do, honey, fact, you really that's... attack that a little uh, inappropriately. Oh, absolutely. She'll
1: grab my arm and whisper in my ear, <laughs> You have an adult
2: brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh,
1: Do I? <laughs> well, I was <laughs> going to ask she, you
2: about that. Now, brain science shows that a male's brain isn't fully formed until 50 years old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think it's 24, uh, which 24, should 25. shock a Sounds lot of optimistic. us. That seems. Late even at that, 24 is the actual uh, research, but a little tongue-in-cheek. But the development of the brain, what's developing that takes 24 years in a male brain? And I'm not sure what the female brain is. 20, well, it's 20...
3: 23 typically yeah. for young women. And actually, that portion of the brain that is the final frontier of maturation is the executive functioning of the brain. It's Judgment. the brain CEO. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And it's located like right behind your forehead, so don't bang your head. <laughs> um, <laughs> no three stooges. Yes, thing. exactly. No, the teenage brain, as it is pruned, like we mentioned earlier, it's also being what's called myelinated. Myelin is, acts like insulation on a wire when you're you know, doing electrical work. You insulate the wire so that the electricity can go down faster. Well, the brain has a similar function with myelin sheaths. It allows the transmission of thoughts to go quicker and more specialized. So that's actually the process that finishes around 23 for girls and between 24 and 25. For some young men, even 27. That's kind of the outside. So we you start know, late outskirts. and
2: we end late. <laughs> well,
3: but you know, it's wonderful to see the differences. In the book, we have chapter devoted individually to both the female brain and the male brain for adolescents, and it's wonderful to see what God does and why it takes a little bit longer for young men. Um, all those things are wonderful because, and here's the why, because our men need to be brave. Right. Our men need to be courageous and God is giving them opportunities to test that and try that and I think it's a beautiful thing. Is it frustrating and confusing for parents? Yes. Can we have greater discernment and compassion understanding these things going on? Absolutely. So. I think what Jeremy was pointing to is that it doesn't remove the parental emotion. We're still going to feel frustrated and confusing, but we can choose not to go with those emotions.
2: That definitely describes the boy's brain. Um, let's give the girls some do here. What's happening for the teenage girl with her brain development Uh, in terms of size and other things.
3: Yeah, well, one of the most fascinating things is that a girl's brain, um, the increase in progesterone interacts with a stress hormone called cortisol. So when a stressful thing happens in a girl's brain, the progesterone in her brain makes it more difficult for her to calm down. There really is a reason why girls tend to have more drama than boys. So as a parent, one of the things that you can do is allow the girl to calm down. Um, say, you know, give her some space. Allow her to go in her room. And as Jeremy mentioned earlier, don't fuel the emotion. Let the so, emotion rise and fall. Right. Eventually, it takes about 30 minutes, they say. Right.
2: So, not the 90 second thing. No, no, yeah. for, <laughs> the,
3: for the calming down. Because once cortisol is released in the brain, it takes a while for huh. it to come down. In fact, in both girls' and boys' brains, Um, The reaction is inverse to adults. So whereas our brain as adults releases a chemical called THP to counteract cortisol, in teenagers, THP is ineffective. And in fact, it can sometimes have the reverse effect and cause escalating stress. So we really, even though we feel we look at them and think you can handle this. We really have to look with compassion and say, okay, they need fewer stresses in their life. So
2: as a parent of a teen girl, and you you recognize this, this is what's happening. I'm in that moment. What's a good thing to say? Let's take a break for 30, 45 minutes, and then let's uh, talk about this again.
3: Yep. Don't continue the conversation. Don't minimize. Try to empathize. So for instance, one of the stresses that may come up is there's a huge zit on her forehead before homecoming. And you're like, it's really not a big deal. It is a big deal to her. Mm. The stress that comes for a young woman, don't minimize those things. Oh, you'll get over it. It won't be that big of a deal. Just use concealer. Don't minimize. Empathize. That must be really hard for you, honey. Yeah. And that just brings it down one level. I can understand where that would be really frustrating. Is there anything I can do to help? Takes it down another level. You know, it's just these calm, taking a step back one after another instead of Adding fuel to the fire.
2: Uh, you mentioned in the book, your teenager is not crazy about the need for parents to surrender their need to be right. Okay, let me say that again because everybody just went, "Ouch!" Ouch! Ouch. I, mean, I was reading this to we're both going, that "This one. is our battle." But know? I am right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point. So, right. how do you coach a parent not to gravitate mm. to that my need to be right? And especially black and white thinkers. You know, yes. and my wife's a biochemist she's right most of the time. (laughs) Right, you know, I
1: just ran into one of uh, our members at church, and he was having a fight with his son, who's, you know, happens to be 14, and, and they were just going at it, just arguing with one another. And the dad was so involved in the argumentation, and it just, he's so frustrated. It's almost like he couldn't stand out. And you know far enough to recognize just what was going on. The son's just exploring life. He's curious. He's doubting. He's questioning everything. And so for us as parents to encourage other parents to allow kids to explore, allow kids to disagree, mm. allow kids to challenge you, they're trying to explore the world. And press into that. Don't just stop it. Uh, one of the things I try to do, and I lead lots of teams and ministries, and I, I try to practice yes and instead of no. And when we were just always stopping somebody and pressing them in a different direction. I try to think, yes. And how do I step into these conversations without crushing their spirits, mm-hmm. yes. without quenching the fire that's within of the curiosity and the creativity and all of that? And I think parents want to be right. And at the very core of it, I think my issue for me is respect. I have an idol of respect, and some of it, we talk about
2: is this that an in the idol, book. or is that a reasonable requirement? Well, all well, idols
3: <laughs> are good things that are made ultimate things. I mean, respect is a good thing, but when you make it the ultimate thing, that's when it becomes mm. an idol. Mm. So, yes, our children should respect us. That's a very biblical idea, and yet respect, or our own comfort, or our security, or our peace those can all become idols as we allow them to become the defining characteristics of our life like mm-hmm. our teenagers are going to make us uncomfortable and if we are looking for our life to be you know comfortable above everything else then we're going to have trouble
1: so i think helping parents and we teach parenting seminars and we talk about recognizing this in our own lives what kind of idols are we defending in our lives mm-hmm. potentially because that informs everything that happens with our kids. If I'm defending this idol of respect and I think everything they say and everything that comes out of their mouth is disrespecting me, then I'm defending that. And I have this expectation that they will just walk around and Treat me as king. That's a problem.
2: So, I do that
3: for you, baby. Yes. (laughs) I love
2: it. This is true. This is good. You guys, we have covered a little bit of this. There is so much to go into. And I'm not even sure if we're going to get it all done in a couple of days. But let's continue to roll through, come back next time, and pick up on this disrespect issue. Maybe we could do a little role playing. Because those of us in the parenting realm, um, I think, John, you and I could come up with a few phrases of disrespect that we've heard in our lives And have you uh, come back about how we as parents should be thinking about this, how we take a deep breath when your child shows you disrespect. I think the other thing is uh, is certainly peer pressure. Mm -hmm. When you have friction within the teen relationship with parents, um, it can push teens into relationships that are unhealthy. And they find uh, comfort in their friendships because the expectations aren't there. Mm -hmm. I can just be relaxed. I don't have to worry about grades and My people love me, and I don't feel loved by my parents. Let's get into all that next time. Can we do it? Yes,
0: please. All right, let's do it. And contact us for a copy of the book by our guests. Your teenager is not crazy. And learn about how you can be more effective as a parent by understanding those physiological changes that are going on inside of them. Uh, Our number here is 800, the letter A in the word family. And you can find the book and other resources as well, including a CD or a download of this conversation, and our mobile app too. It's all at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.
2: And I know uh, you're going to want to read this book, and we want to make it available. And if you can give a gift of any amount to Focus, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. It's hopefully a fun way to be part of the ministry not just a recipient of it but also partake in it and bless others. And for those who can help us offset the cost of getting this resource into the hands of people who can't afford it, uh, that is another good way. So uh, make a gift of any amount and we'll send you the book or help us cover the cost of getting the resource out to those who need it but can't afford it. And again our number
0: is 800 the letter A and the word family. Well, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Don't enter into the teenage drama, <laughs> right? I don't want to
1: be a teenager. I, don't, I lived through those years. I don't want to go back to those years. But so often I find myself walking away from an argument that I took the bait, I ran into it, and I walk away thinking, why did I do that?
0: Well, so many of us as parents can relate to that very scenario. I took the bait, and today Dr. Jeremy Clark and his wife Jerusha are joining us again on Focus on the Family to help you avoid taking the bait. Your host is Focus author and president Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. I love all the fishing analogies (laughs) there, but uh, John, last time
2: we heard the first part of a great conversation about how we can understand what's happening as our teenagers' brains uh, grow and develop, and it is really enlightening. If you missed the broadcast last time, get the download or hear it online. Uh, You can also... Download the app for your smartphone. Great ways to listen to the whole library of Focus on the Family. Uh, One point we made with our guests is that the male brain is not fully developed. Now, wives and moms are going, of course, I knew this. (laughs) But the male brain is not fully developed until somewhere around 24 to 27 years old. And for girls, it's about 23. Okay, let's hear it for the ladies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you're looking at odd behavior or (laughs) things that just don't add up, um, it might be because they're not there yet, and I'm definitely seeing it in my two boys. I mean, every year there's greater maturity, and believe me, we're grateful for that. As parents, uh, we can better manage our emotions knowing that there is a horizon of development, and that's what we want to inform you about today.
0: Yeah, and our guests, Jeremy and Jerusha, are living right there. They've got a couple of teen girls. Uh, Jeremy and Jerusha write together and have this book, Your Teenager Is Not Crazy, and we have copies of that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. We're so glad to have this couple back. Uh, Jeremy Clark was a youth pastor for 17 years and now reaches out to ministry leaders through Standing Stone Ministry in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, Jerusha is also a writer and speaker, and the Clarks have two teen girls, as I mentioned uh, previously. Let's go ahead and return to part two now of that conversation on Focus on the Family.
2: Well, welcome to both of you. Thanks. Uh, Jeremy, you have spent really your life uh, helping teens, and that has shown in the discussion we had last time, just the way you brought brain chemistry into the discussion. Really, it gives uh, John and I both a different perspective. I know millions of listeners who have heard this now. They're hanging on saying, okay, give us some more. Let's recap a bit and talk about that brain chemistry. Just give us the kind of the breakdown on what's growing in an 11, 12-year-old boy and girl and the differences. So to recap, there's a pruning
1: that's going on from 11 years old and girls and 12 and a half around roughly in roughly, boys and their brains are being pruned back and it's going through a time of specialization and the things that they do during this time will actually hardwire in their brains. So if these young people and during these times, if they're just sitting on the couch playing video games, which they love to do, <laughs> those are going to be the things that will be hardwired. For us as parents, we need to guide these years. And we need to understand that as their brains are pruning, it's really, there's a lot of starts and stops and Mm -hmm. and their own emotions and there's confusion. And we used to always say in teaching talks to adolescents, it's always um, the raging testosterone and the hormone changes. All of these things are true. But through recent research, we know that actually it's all coming from what's happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. The brain is regulating all of this. And so as the brain is specializing, we as parents can understand some of the stuff that we see that is crazy, the up and down emotion and all these different things that we outline in the book. There's reasons for why they're acting the way they are. And that's why we took this title because teenage, the teenage years seem crazy. Mm-hmm. And we want to say, well, we want to take some of the mystery out of it. We want to say, hey, they're not as crazy as you think they are. Mm-hmm. There's actually things happening to them. And if you know then you can have greater
2: compassion and greater understanding. I would. There's almost another title for your book running through my mind, which is Embrace the Craziness as a parent. <laughs> hey, that's
3: a good one, too. You know, just as a
2: parent. And I, that's yeah. what I love about it because God has designed this. Uh, you mentioned last time about uh, 30 times the amount of testosterone mm-hmm. flowing through a teenage boy's body and brain and what it's doing to increase the size of the amygdala which is the courage center you know the exploration area the testing of things that's what they're going to do because their brain chemistry is driving them in that direction they want to do crazy things you've seen skateboarders and what they do and you're mm-hmm. going why would a kid ever do that it's it could harm you that's the reason correct yeah. and so their hypothalamus and their amygdala
1: are enlarged, which in boys. in boys and it helps them mediate fear and danger. And since it's enlarged during these years, uh, there's an aggressiveness, there's an assertiveness, there's a shorter attention span. Squirrel, I mean, <laughs> right there, there's you do grow out of that, right? Yeah. I don't know I, if I, I have a so. concern now. Are you paying attention? Yeah, now? I was so, looking out the window when you right, said that. Right. So, and, and also like this uh, enhanced sex drive. That's what's happening because the increased testosterone level in young men. I didn't understand when I was a kid, why, when I got thrown out at the church baseball game, it was a picnic, church baseball game, I was raging mad. I was kicking bases and throwing stuff and, and my, um, you know, senior pastor, Dr. Phil Howard, he's, he said, Jeremy, I knew God worked in you because you were the hottest headed little punk I'd ever met. <laughs> and, and God did something amazing in you. Well, I didn't understand why as a young man, I reached up and punched my windshield as a, uh, because I was frustrated over a relationship and it, I watched it spider web crack in front of me. And I thought, oh, you idiot. Now I got to pay and replace that. Well, it all makes sense that I had all of this extra testosterone. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know I was aggressive and and angry all the time and fighting with my parents all the time. This gives me great compassion when I'm interacting with young men, Mm -hmm. knowing that this is happening. This is something that is a reality in them that they just, we can't wish away.
2: Well, here's the point that is so important, I think, You start as a parent to see your child as a misfit Mm -hmm. rather than the normal trajectory. Mm -hmm. And this is what they're going to, you know, sometimes engage. And how do we, as Christian parents particularly, because we have such a standard of restraint Right. Is a godly character, which it is. But how do you step in there and begin to help your teenager, boy or girl? We we need to cover more of the girl's attributes in a moment. Right. But how do you, as a father and a mother, step in and say, okay, we got you. We understand what's going on and hang on. You have to adjust your expectations. So if my expectation is
1: that they're going to be well-behaved, well-mannered, just going to sit at attention in the pew and...
2: and Always and, and want to pray.
1: Right. Just, <laughs> I'm like, we see some families that way. How come our kids aren't like that? Well, because our kids are like us. <laughs> so um, we can adjust our expectations. If I have the expectation that they're going to act a certain way and they're constantly not acting that way. Mm-hmm. And through research, I understand and come to learn that this is going to be normative, that they're going to constantly be challenging boundaries and questioning my rules and asking why, where I often feel um, challenged and disrespected. And if I adjust my expectations, say, well, you know, I'm not being disrespected here. I don't think at the core of this, I'm being disrespected. I'm going to allow them by adjusting my, my own expectations to um, enter into the journey with
2: them. Well, last time we left off with something you both said, which was... Don't make an idol out of disrespect. Correct. And my first blush at that was, what? Wait a minute. Yeah. We're going to manage this. Explain a little further with greater detail what that means when a parent makes an idol out of disrespect.
3: Yeah, well, idols are just good things that we make ultimate things. And respect is a good thing. It's something that God encourages uh, children to give their parents, commands them to give. But when we make respect the ultimate thing in our relationship with our kids, then it's become, it's displaced God in our life. It's become the thing that we seek above all else. And we can't seek respect above all else. So it's also an
2: idol out of respect. Yes.
3: And I think that, you know, I'm so glad, Jeremy, that you brought up the whole aspect um, of what you were just talking about. Because we're not trying to excuse behavior by biology We're actually, we're never trying to say, oh, you should just ignore all this, you know, just understand them and and get over it. We're actually, in each chapter, we give specific try-it-today principles for how you can adjust to those expectations, how you can navigate these things specifically, because if you're like me, parents out there, sometimes you just feel a little helpless, like, what do I try next? Because I've done the whole, like, count to 10 thing, and I've done this, and so I really wanted to make sure and jeremy wanted to make sure that the moms out there and the dads out there had things they could literally put into practice within these 24 hours well
2: let's push on the disrespect one when a parent encounters that um just hypothetically because it would never happen in our home (laughs) (laughs) ours either (laughs) let's talk about john's house no i'm kidding john but you know when that teen has a little flare-up of disrespect and you know they say something in a curt or demeaning way what should a parent do not to take the bait? <laughs> right, yeah.
1: right. Uh, we, again, I, we mentioned this, but we like saying, hey, use your adult brain. We are the mature ones. Our prefrontal cortexes are, are fully myelinated. We can think, we can have, you know, wise judgment and discernment. And and if I know that my adolescent is going through this changing time and, and these emotions are up and down for them. And they're one minute, they're nice and docile. And the next minute they're screaming and challenging me and talking back to me. Well, it's up to me to bring calm into the situation. Mm -hmm. It's up to me to be the adult. It's up to me to be the parent and model appropriate behavior. And if I'm always taking the bait and running into the argument, so this is something that we like to say to each other, rise above. Rise above this. Just as a trigger, right, right. don't enter into the teenage drama, <laughs> right? I don't want to be a teenager. I don't. I lived through those years. I don't want to go back to those years. But so often, I find myself walking away from an argument that I took the bait. I ran into it, and I walk away thinking, "Why did I do that?
2: Mm. Why did I yell? Why Ooh. did I?" Why do we equate this thing? And this is a humorous way to look at it. That if we're having the struggle with our teenager, that somehow, and I think moms do this quicker than dads, that disrespectful teenager is on his way to being a car thief. Yes, right,
3: right. right. They're going to get pregnant, they're going to do this, yes. You know, that's Gene and I
2: laying in bed going, do you know what he could turn out to be?
3: (laughs) They call that catastrophization. It's actually a psychological principle, and you're absolutely right.
2: Catastrophization. (laughs)
3: Catastrophization, and women tend to struggle with this more. And It's absolutely true that you take a thread and run with it. Another very specific thing that you can do when you're encountered with those disrespectful comments is that you can say what you want to say in as few words as possible. Because as a rule. Yes. Teenage yeah. brains respond best to shorter, more frequent conversations. Don't get into a big, like, explanation of lecture. what this and that. Right. Yeah, even if it's not a lecture, even if you're just trying to – you're really trying to explain. You're not trying to lecture their brains can't take it in. Use as few words as possible and make those words count. That is a great rule of thumb. You know, for instance, if you have a teenager that says, it doesn't matter, why do you even care? Instead of going on and on about why you care, just say, say, if you would like to understand more, I'm more than happy to give you some reasons. The reality is they don't usually want those things, but then you've offered an invitation to greater relationship.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
4: When a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condi, will help you through the seven steps of self care. And you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condi's timeless wisdom give you hope even while you're in your own season. Of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash store. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I have called you by name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family.
0: Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: I'm sure a lot of Christian parents are in that spot right now where their teenagers are now wanting to be with their friends more than they want to be at home, hang out. Some of that's going to be natural, Mm -hmm. but when it's unhealthy, when they're finding that they love being with their friends because the expectations are low or they're now getting into behavior that is risky. It could be premarital sex. It could be uh, drinking, drug abuse, whatever it might be, that my friends don't condemn me for stepping beyond the boundaries. All I get is a hassle from you, mom and dad. Um, Speak to that environment where now it's becoming serious. And some of it is apparent, if we're honest, it's our fault too. And we have pushed them out the door at times. We have. I think the
1: tendency, and this is where parents often don't grow as their children grow, when they're young, we have to set good boundaries. Because if we don't, they'll run out into the street, get hit by a car. They'll put their hand on the stove. We have to box them in. Where we get uncomfortable is putting the walls of the box down. A senior pastor I work with, uh, Dennis Keating, he likes to say, by the time a... um, a teenager is 17, all four walls of the box should be down. Based on the teen, of course, and based on yeah. your own experience of their maturity. That's preparing them for adulthood. Correct. And we are so uncomfortable as parents to put the walls down, to let the walls down, to give more and more
2: freedom. Do you know what they could do with that freedom? Jeremy, do you (laughs) know what could happen? Yeah, but (laughs) it's it's true. That's what moms and dads are thinking. So how do they adjust that?
3: Maybe hearing a little bit about the biology will kind of help parents because the social brain is developing during this time. And as Jeremy mentioned before, the brain um, develops unevenly. It's in fits and starts. And so the social brain continues to grow during this adolescent period. But one of the primary things the social brain does during this period—and by social brain, we just mean the brain structures that are involved—it's not actually a part of the brain. It's kind of the overall um, these different brain structures. Um, one of the things that is happening in that part of the those parts of the brain is a push towards peers. God designed it this way. God designed it this way so that our kids would leave the nest. Mm. If we squash that entirely, we're doing ourselves a disservice. I truly believe that this is one of the reasons that our children, our adult children, emerging adults, are not leaving as early as yeah, they did in the past.
2: or whatever Be, we describe them with. Because
3: we're trying to um, squelch this maturation of the social brain. We're afraid. Um, one of the things that we address in the book are, these fears of letting go of control, but control is an illusion. Only God is in control. Any control that we thought we had as parents is blown out of the water when they become teenagers. We realize how little control we actually have, but in response to that recognition, a lot of us try to clamp down rather than just Exert surrender control. control, right? Yeah. Rather than just surrender it to the only one that can handle it. I mean, I love First Timothy 6.15 says that God is the blessed and only controller. He's the only one that can do this and do it well. I am not a good controller. I'm kind of more like a Nazi when I'm trying to control things. And so I have to surrender that control That's and It's so trust. counterintuitive.
2: It is. It's, it's scary. So, and it's
3: challenging and it's scary, but it's also what they need because yes. that time with peers um, and what's oh, so great Jim, is that we don't have to give them a ton of unsupervised time with peers. That's when the trouble really starts. We looked at a lot of research on this. And it's the time when you get a bunch of unmyelinated prefrontal cortexes, meaning teenagers, (laughs) when they all get together, that's when crazy stuff happens. Bad judgment. So have that youth leader with them. Even someone that's 25 will still have a more fully developed brain and have parents, coaches, coaches. Um, Your kid's soccer coach may be a great surrogate prefrontal cortex for them. You know, it's kind of like a safety net. You have adult brains surrounding your kids so that when they branch out with that social brain, they're not falling into oblivion. Boy,
2: that is so well said. I love this stuff so much because you guys are hitting it. Um, Let's continue that thought into faith and faith development because as you let the walls fall down, uh, you're hoping that's what emerges is a child who is committed to the Lord, who can follow Age appropriately as best as he or she can at that age that they go off to college. You know, the statistics right now are very dismaying to parents when they go off to Christian school or a secular school. About 70% of kids will fall away from the faith. The good news is about half of them will come back to the Lord at about age 30. I'm sure, although I don't know the research has been done beyond age 30, more will come back to the Lord over the next several decades before they pass away. That's a good thing that reinforces the Bible where it says, uh, you know, my word will not return void and teach them in the ways of the Lord. And and when they are old, they will not, in (laughs) essence, forget that. Um, How do we set the best environment spiritually to let them thrive and let them make mistakes and allow the Holy Spirit to do His job.
1: All right, you're not going to like this, but teens learn best
4: through example.
1: They need examples. They need, and it starts with us, and we humble ourselves, and, and what matters most is that we model, not just talk about a faith, but live a faith, yes. a faith that they see is true within us. We like to say teens have a real strong hypocrite meter for everyone except for themselves, (laughs) granted, but they can spot Mm -hmm. the hypocrisy. They see it, and what do they need? They need mentors, they need models, they need parents that will humble themselves and say, you know, I was wrong. The other day, and to the listeners out there, we're right in this. I mean, we had a tough few days, and we're just continuing to pray like crazy. We go on walks on a regular basis, and we just pray and say, God, if you can't help us, no one can, but we're going to rely on you because we know we're going to trust our kids to you and to your hands. Would you help them develop as the young ladies that you want them to develop into but we want to provide that example. We want to humble ourselves. If we want our kids to read the Bible, then they should see us reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. If we want them to memorize the scriptures, then are we memorizing the scriptures? Is the church a priority? And for so long, I think the church, and I'm very passionate about working with youth. It's because that's when my faith really took off. And it's also a time where I was really uncertain and I was testing the waters and I got into some trouble.
2: Well, and you were aggressive like you described about Com- breaking the windshield. Yes, completely. completely. But people didn't walk away from you. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's key.
1: I had mentors and, and my parents who raised me on the Bible and the church and also on focus on the family. They, 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 <laughs> they true. seriously Absolutely. this is a coming home for me to be here <laughs> because my parents had us listen to tapes and they I mean they just they were constantly trying to grow and they were our examples. I come home from school and my mom is Uh, reading the Bible. My dad was serving in junior high ministry, and and I would want some of the suckers that he was taking to the other kids, but he's like, you can't have them because they're for the students I'm leading. They were my models. When I was going wayward, my mom said, you know why things aren't going well for you, Jeremy? You're not living right. They were setting the tone and the example, and they kept bringing it up, but they weren't pushy. Mm. And yet I had um, my youth pastor, Ted Montoya, Tap me on the shoulder. God keeps bringing you to mind. How are you living right now? Hey, come help me in the youth ministry." I think churches today need to send their very best of their best leaders to go mentor youth. Yes. Well, that's a great idea. Go, You have important roles, no more important than mentoring the next generation. Find the very best leaders and send them in to be models
2: for junior high and high school students. Mm-hmm. Let me say it this way, and I'd love your reaction. When you look at that stat of 70% of young people, when they leave the home, they're walking away from the faith in a very secularized university environment, whatever it might be. We have to look at the situation and say, why? What are they not finding in right. Scripture that's keeping them close to God? That's a bold question, but it's one we have to ask.
3: You know, it's interesting. It's obviously not that God is lacking or that right. there's something wanting in his word. I think one of the challenges is that we have to look inside and ask, did we make space for our kids to have doubts? Did we make space for them to develop their own thoughts about really their own relationship with God, because oftentimes we're so focused on behavior that we forget that it's a relationship with God. We don't just want them to have, you know, okay, now go read your Bible for 10 minutes, and then it becomes just something to check off a list. How do we help them have, as well as these kind of behaviors that are good and important, how do we help them have that relationship? And Unfortunately, a lot of parents are scared to enter conversations about doubt. Um, Maybe it's about sexuality and gender. You've never had really a a robust conversation with your kids about these kind of things. They go away and all of a sudden they hear things and they think, what in the world? So never too early, never too late. You know, start where you are. Mm. Just right where you are. Begin having those discussions. Bring up your own faith as an entry point. You know, I was reading in the scripture this. What do you think?
2: This, again, has been an incredible day of discussion. I I have so enjoyed it. I want to continue the discussion in our web area, ask you a few more questions. So for the listeners, if you want to hear more, uh, why don't you come to the website? We'll direct it there, John, and you can go to the landing page, and we'll uh, ask a few more questions in parenting teenagers and trying to get through that. Um, I am really encouraged. I think you are on to something, both of you, in terms of the research and what it shows us, what God has built into us uh, as teenagers who are developing. You got it. And uh, to help parents better understand what's happening physiologically with our kids as well as spiritually. Mm -hmm. And uh, in your book, Your Teenager is Not Crazy I like my revision too yes, which is embrace, embrace the crazy. The yeah, I <laughs> the love crazy, it I love it <laughs> uh, because we're living it all of us are living it at this table I'm sure many of you listening are living this right now and it's not working perhaps mm. very well uh, let's try something different this is why focus is here to give you a tool that can hopefully bring that shalom the lord's peace into your home and that definitely starts with looking at your own you know, your own weaknesses as a parent. And I'm pointing the mirror right back at Gene and me because we have those challenges as well. So uh, let's grow together. Uh, You can get a copy of this book. Uh, John, let's make this available for a gift of any amount. Uh, Support the ministry so we can help those who need it. And if you're in a good place, man, all the more reason to step into this gap and stand with focus on the family to help those, maybe even some of your neighbors who are listening right now. Uh, be there for them. Do ministry through Focus. Um, I'm committed to running Focus efficiently and effectively. Um, You and your wife, you and your husband, pour into this place so you can do ministry as God sees it Mm -hmm. into other people's lives. You may not know their name or their faces, but you're helping. Help us
0: help them. We really enjoyed our conversation with Jeremy and Jerusha Clark uh, on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And as Jim said, Um, You can donate and get the book from us and help families uh, in a variety of circumstances. Your support allows us to provide hope for real families who need it. Again, the title of that book is Your Teenager is Not Crazy. And I'll also mention another great resource that we have specifically for teen girls. Focus on the family's Brio magazine equips teen girls to better understand the world around them with a biblical perspective, and it really helps you engage in conversation with your daughter. Contact us to subscribe to Brio Magazine, donate, and get that book by the Clarks. Our website is focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or our number 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Well, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.